And now we're going to turn to God's Word and continue our series in the Old Testament. And my title today is Reading the Old Testament in Our Devotions. And our goal is to help us all to read the Old Testament in a way that blesses and encourages us. I want us to have an Emmaus experience. You may be wondering, what do I mean by an an Emmaus experience? Well, in Luke chapter 24, we have a story which is an encouragement for today's sermon. This is after Jesus was raised from the dead, very shortly afterwards. Now, that same day, two of them, as two of the disciples, were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, What is this dispute you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? What things? he asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses, so that's the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, and all the prophets, and we're going to see that's right the way through to the end of the Old Testament, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, Weren't our hearts burning within us? when he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. What an experience to have. Wouldn't every Christian love to have heard Jesus' explanation of the Old Testament? But it is what we're doing today is important. It is so important because it's what Jesus wants us to do. The question then is, how do we have an Emmaus experience? Typically, what happens is this. You decide you're going to read through the Old Testament in your daily devotions. It's all God's word, so it must all be equal value, right? 
And then you start reading and you start hitting these difficult things and you're not getting anything from it and you're not being blessed and you give up. It's true that it's all God's word and it's all valuable, but not in the same way. For example, um, if I decide I'm going to spend a year eating through all the edible things in my local supermarket, uh, aisle by aisle, well, it's all good food. Why not? It's not going to really suit me very well. I'm going to have a, a month on milk, cream and dairy, and then I'm going to have a, a month on chips and snacks, and then I'm going to re- reach the medications aisle and have a month eating only vitamins and supplements. This is not good, is it? And this is the the, the issue with the Bible, that all of it is valuable, but not in the same way. And I'm going to suggest to you that there are two kinds of Bible meals that we need to eat. We need, first of all, devotional reading. And this is regular times of Bible readings that are not intellectual exercises, but for connecting with God. The other type, now it, it, it isn't an intellectual exercise, but it's a, it's a Bible study um, but it's an intentional time of going deeper, either individually or in a group. And I want to argue that not all of the Bible is suitable for type A for devotional reading. So um, what? Let, let me explain. Just as in the supermarket, there are different aisles with different sorts of foods like meats and cereals and canned food and so on. In the Bible, we have different kinds of food. Um, now, we call the word we use is genres for this. I'm a member of Audible, which is the, uh, the audio book club. And uh, every day they send me a special offer of a book and they include the genre. And the genre can be uh, a fiction, which I'm not generally that interested in, or it can be history or science or business or self-development or several other categories. And this is called the genre, the kind of literature that it is. And so different parts of the Bible have different genres and are suitable for different things. So just uh, in, in even in Jesus' time, they used these words to describe it. And Jesus referred to the law and the prophets. And uh, the, the words they used were Torah for the law and uh, Nevi'im for the prophets. And that was used to sum up the Old Testament. And then sometimes uh, they would also use the word writings as well, which is the poetic books and wisdom books as a shorthand for the Old Testament. And We're going to look at these different genres, and I've put together a chart, which I I think is very useful for looking at this. So we have uh, the first section of the Old Testament, which is the law. And that goes from the law, the history books, I should call it. The law technically is the first five books, Um, although it's not all law. It just tends to be called that in the New Testament. Um, the, The... History, which I've put red in this chart, Genesis right the way through to Esther. Those are the books that predominantly history. 
We're going to see there's other things as well, but predominantly history. And then we have the next thing is that the green, which is poetry and wisdom, and that's just five books, Job through to Song of Songs. And then the rest of the Old Testament from Isaiah to the end, the blue ones are the prophets. And they're generally divided into the major prophets, which is the first five. And they're only called major because they're bigger. And the minor prophets, which are the twelve, which are much smaller, some of them much smaller, which follow on from that. So those are the three categories I'm going to be talking about today. There's history, there's poetry and wisdom, and there's prophets. And we're going to be going through those three categories as we go through today. So first of all, I want to look at the historical books. And so I want to ask the question, how do you think Jesus, while he's on the road to Emmaus, showed the disciples where he was there in the historical books? Well, let me give you, I think, an example. The bronze serpent from Numbers 21. This is a wonderful story. And what I'm going to be doing today is to go through each of those three genres and give you an example for each that we can use in our devotional readings and what it looks like. So, Bronze Serpent. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. So this is the Israelites in the wilderness going to the promised land. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For is, there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. So this is the manner that God was providing for them. Really complaining against God. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is just a wonderful picture of salvation because it shows all they had to do was to look. And that required some faith, but maybe not very much faith just to look at this serpent. And that's uh, a picture of what it means to trust in Jesus. And Jesus says, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. Making a parallel with this wonderful story here. Uh, there's a one of the um, famous, most famous preachers in the UK at the end of the 1800s was a man called Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon, um, he... Uh, when he was um, a, when he was a boy, he really wanted to become a Christian, but it all seemed too complicated for him. And um, one day he was out of he lived in London. He was out of London in some little village, and the little uh, farmer was preaching. And the farmer preached, 
and uh, there was not many people in the church and he noticed Spurgeon sitting there uh, at the back of the church and he said and this is what Spurgeon recalled he said young man you look very miserable and you will always be miserable miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text but if you obey now this moment you will be saved then lifting up his hand he shouted young man look to Jesus Christ look 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 you have nothing to do but look and live and this is just a, this is just such a I just love this image. It really moves me to hear this story <clears throat> because in some ways it matches my own story. <clears throat> I saw at once the way of salvation. I know not what else he said. I did not take much notice of it. I was so possessed without one thought. I'd been waiting to do 50 things. But when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. And he talks about the joy that just filled him at this point. And this is just such a wonderful story because it shows us that it's not our works that save us. It's simply looking to Jesus and it's not complicated. It's just a matter of saying he is the one who I'm trusting to save me. So that's an example of a story and the kind of way we can take stories uh, to to help us understand now this is one this one speaks very explicitly about jesus but very often the stories are just talking about how god relates to humans like the life of abraham and life of david and others and how god relates to them and learning about who he is through the stories of his grace and his relationships so that can really build us up and help us to know god in a better way However, throughout particularly the first five books of the Bible, there are great chunks when there's a lot of law. And often these laws are not really that useful for our devotions. So, for example, here's one uh, in um, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 22. So I'm going to say I've covered um, history, which I put red, which means it's good for Reading in devotions law, I don't think it's that good for reading in devotions. So here we have Deuteronomy 22, part of the law. You shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. You shall make yourself tassels on the four corners of the garment with which you cover yourself. So um, there's, there is a purpose for all these laws, but finding the answer requires study and to be honest, for some of them, we're still not completely sure. But I plan to do another sermon at some point really addressing this question. But I want you to say that if you're reading history books and you come to a great chunk of law, don't feel bad about skipping over parts that are just laws. Don't feel that you have to read them because they're in the Bible. There's a time and a place for the difficult passages. Uh, so... Um, just looking at our passage then we've at our overview we've looked at law and history across the top there the historical books um and i should clarify the first five books there are called law but most of the most of it is actually history so it's not all of that you have to skip um and uh, what i want to do now is is to look at the poetic books 
and the wisdom literature. And we're going to see, again, there's two types. We're going to see devotional reading. And that's what I'm really recommending, uh, the Psalms. And then there, there is other wisdom books. And I've not put that black because I don't think it's, in, it's all inappropriate for devotional reading. But some of it is a bit more challenging. So I'll come on to that in a minute. But Psalms, um, really very useful. So I'm going to give us an example, which would be Psalm 3. A Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. We're not completely 100% sure what Selah means, but we think it kind of means an emphasis like Think about that, like, sila. that's something to think about. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain, sila. Then it goes on, I lie down and sleep, I wake again, because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who've taken their stand against me on every side. This is the kind of thing that just reading it when you get up in the morning can really encourage you for the day, particularly if you've got some problems as David had at this time. He goes on, rise up, O Lord, save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people, Sila. So I included this psalm um, because it's, although it really encourages us, it does have uh, a slightly problematic issue in verse 7 there. Um, what about these parts about breaking the teeth of the wicked? How do we cope with those? Well, I'm just going to say very simply that the, the psalms were written, in fact, the whole of the Old Testament was written before a full revelation of God's grace. And when what the the when verses like this are quoted in the New Testament, something positive is added to them. Um, so it might be implicitly this the the, the wicked are, are struck so that they will turn to you. And when in the New Testament verses are quoted from the old, there is the salvation is brought in, the grace of God is brought in, and the opportunity for all people to be saved. So don't be don't be uh, um, discouraged when you see some things like that in the psalm. Um, many of the psalms have got references directly to Jesus, and he quoted them during his time on earth. <clears throat> so that would be... Uh, that would be poetic books, the devotional books. But we also have wisdom books in the Old Testament. And uh, what do I mean by that? Well, remember, there are five books in this category. And the wisdom books would be Job, <coughs> Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon uh, as the four book, the other four books. <clears throat> so some of these books are very easy to be blessed by. And we can very easily read them, like, for example, Proverbs. But the other ones can be a little harder devotionally, particularly Job. You know, it's a very big book. And if you decide you're going to read, um, you know, 
a few verses a day, you're going to be in there a long time and you may get somewhat discouraged, um, uh, not very uplifting in places. So I would say that Job's probably not, for the most part, suitable for this kind of devotional reading. Um, Ecclesiastes, to a certain extent, Song of Songs, it can be a little bit difficult to grasp what it's about in places. Um, so um, I would say... Uh, uh, Psalms is definitely the easiest for devotional reading. So <clears throat> let's go back then to our, our big picture. <clears throat> We've looked at the historical books across the top, and then the five books of poetry and wisdom, and then the other big section, the prophets. Isaiah through to Daniel being the major prophets, and then 12 minor prophets. <clears throat> and uh, so Let's um, look at our uh, our overview here. So prophetic books, I'm going to suggest there's three categories to prophetic books. There's the positive prophecies, and I'm going to suggest those are suitable for devotional readings, when something positive is being prophesied. There's the negative prophecies, which are much harder. And then the last one is the apocalyptic prophecies, which I'm going to mention in just a minute, which need focused studies. So that's um, probably the hardest of the genres to read devotionally. And uh, I those so those are the three categories. And the trouble is you can't say, oh, one book is all positive, one is all negative. They are mixed. <clears throat> all of them are mixed. Um, so let's look at um, Isaiah and Isaiah, the second half of Isaiah has got probably the largest big chunk of positive prophecy. And so we're going to look at Isaiah 42. This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. So you can probably guess who this is speaking about. You don't need Jesus with you on the road to Emmaus to have this explained to you. I expect this was one of the passages that he pointed out. But this is Jesus. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed and he will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or to be discouraged until he has established justice on the earth. The coasts and islands will wait for his instruction. Just lovely words. And there are some beautiful passages in Isaiah just describing Jesus and prophecies about him in this very pictorial language. And some of the other books are like that. Hosea tells a story which starts off a little dark, but then is really encouraging towards the end. And uh, of course, Jonah has got a great theme. Um, so, so you can look at the, the prophetic books and just don't be afraid. If you find that that's really not working for you, then you can leave it to another time and maybe look for an opportunity when you can study it. Um, there are, I mentioned there are negative prophetic books and the negative prophecies are often when there's long and detailed judgments on the nations. Now, these may not be the kind of things we want to read devotionally, but some of them are very valuable 
because historically, if you do the research, you find places where they were very precisely fulfilled. So, for example, in Nahum, there were prophecies about Tyre and Sidon, which came exactly true and proved the supernatural character of the Bible. Um, so, so that, but they're more for study than they are for your daily devotions. And then I mentioned the third category of prophetic, which is apocalyptic. And um, this is probably the most difficult. We can divide the New Testament in the same way as we can the Old Testament with the historical and, if you like, um, wisdom and teaching. And then we have apocalyptic, which, of course, is revelation. In fact, the book of Revelation, the original name in the Greek is the apocalypse. That's where we get the name from. But uh, there's some apocalyptic revelation in the Old Testament prophets. And just to give you an example, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel said, In my vision at night I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. I continued watching until its wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground, set on its feet like a man, and given a human mind. This is great stuff, and there's very good scholarship on what this means that you can you can study and read up, but probably not what you want to start your day with. Purpose of devotional reading is just to engage with God and build that relationship with him. So, as I draw this to the close, I'm just going to summarize where we've been. We see three major divisions in the Old Testament. And as we try and read them, we have the historical books with history, which is mostly what it is. And there is some of it which is law, particularly in books like um, Numbers and Deuteronomy, which can be are not necessarily that suitable for reading devotionally. And then we saw poetic books and wisdom books. Um, and we looked at the devotional, primarily devotional, which is the Psalms, which is really, really good for our devotional reading. And then some other wisdom books, which can be good, like, for example, Proverbs, but can be maybe not ideal, like the book of Job. And then the third category we looked at were the prophetic books. And I divided that into three, positive prophecy, and the best um, known part of that is the last half of Isaiah, which is really positive and encouraging in some of the most encouraging words that are there. And not just the last half, there are other parts in there that are really encouraging. And some of the other prophetic books as well. Um, negative which are much harder, where there's some passages condemning the wicked and and just very, very uh, um, condemnatory. Uh, and then we have uh, the, the apocalyptic, which is uh, probably the hardest there is to read. And so um, what I'm going to say then is that uh, this it's important not just to read the New Testament. Now, of course, reading the New Testament is very important and um, it's as 
more important than the old, but we should do them both. Um, but it is important to read the old because it's like having our roots in the old so they can really understand the new. We won't really have the fruit of the new unless our root is in the old. And um, uh, when when uh, Psalm 1 was written, and we're going to read Psalm 1 now, when Psalm 1 was written, it's about the value of reading the the word. The New Testament wasn't written, and actually not a lot of the Old Testament was written at that point. Um, so I'm going to end by reading Psalm 1, um, the first part of Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that context, it means all of the historical books at that point. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So I want to leave you with this psalm as a motivation for reading the Old Testament, to be like this tree, to have this um, bearing fruit in season, not withering in everything you do, prospering. Um, so I I would appeal to you, do not neglect reading the Old Testament. Uh, be like this tree. Uh, would you like to have verse 3 as a description of your life? Um, I hope that I've encouraged you today to read the Old Testament, and I hope I've lifted off you any feelings of guilt for skipping over parts that are not really the best thing for a devotional reading. Although I would encourage you that there are times to do study of passages of any passage in the Old Testament where you've set aside time to study it either, either by yourself or with a group. So let's read God's word and be like these trees, bearing fruit, not withering and prospering in everything that we do because our roots are deep down there in God's word. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you've given us your word. You've given us this rich resource. And Lord, we pray that we won't be put off by reading, but we will be hungry to read. And you will speak to us. And just like those disciples on the road with Jesus, that our hearts will burn within us with love and excitement as we see Jesus in the Old Testament, and as you speak to our hearts, we pray, we ask us in the name of Jesus. Amen.